Lone Star Gun Talk is a Lone Star Gun Rights production. Original music and hosted by Derek Wills. Copyright Lone Star Gun Rights 2019. Lone Star Gunners, welcome to the podcast. This is Lone Star Gun Talk, and I am your humble host, as always, Derek Wills. Thank you so much for being here to this special live free edition on Facebook. Um, And I decided to make it on Facebook for everybody because this is just going to be such an awesome show. I already feel it in my bones. It's going to be great. And whenever you have something this great, you kind of feel compelled to share it with people. So that's what I'm going to do. And the reason it's going to be so great is because of the guest that I have today. Uh, this is Phil Rabelais, and he is the host of Matter of Facts podcast, uh, which is a great podcast. I highly recommend that you listen to it. If you enjoy this one, you'll enjoy Phil's. He talks, well, actually, I'll let him uh, explain it. Phil, thank you so much for being here. Welcome to Lone Star Gun Talk. Thanks for having me, Derek. It's been a blast so far. I know. We've just been we've been talking off, uh, offline uh, about just various different things, and it's... It, Phil's the type of guy, if, if if you've not listened to his podcast, you just know that he's the type of guy that you can just talk with for hours about everything and nothing. And he's he, it's it's just been so fun because we've talked about everything from uh, abortion to border security to gun rights to you name it. It's just it's just been fun. Today we're going to kind of try and keep it tailored. I say the word "try" because I don't know if it'll <laughs> if it'll stay that way. <laughs> I gotta warn you, I'm like a Labrador Retriever. If I see a squirrel, I'm going for it. <laughs> Did you say squirrel? Where? Where? Squirrel. Where? Squirrel. Oh goodness. Um, okay, so the the topics that we are going to try and stay on. Uh, we're talking Benchmade. We're talking a little bit of Surefire. We're talking William Barr. We're talking some, uh, maybe throw in some Ruby Ridge and some Waco in there. Um, and uh, it, it's it's going to be action-packed. But first, before we get into all that, Phil, why don't you tell people, if they're not familiar with who you are, what your podcast is about, why don't you tell people about that? Well, my name is Phil Rabley. I'm uh just a humble coon ass from Southeast Louisiana, but um, I'm the host and the creator of the Matter of Facts podcast. I host that show weekly with my co-host, Andrew Bobo, who's from the other end of the country for me. He's up in Michigan. We talk prepping, guns, politics, Second Amendment, libertarian values. Honestly, the show kind of goes all over the map because our interests go all over the map, but we try to stick mostly to like gun and prepping and survivalist topics and we always try to bring in guests who can share knowledge with our listeners that Andrew and I don't possess. I mean, we're we're not experts in anything. We're enthusiastic novices in most regards. And most recently, I'm also the I'm also now a published author. I published my first book, American Insurgent, back in December. And Why if I never get some time, I'm going to work on the sequel. Oh, good. <laughs> Why don't you give us a quick uh, rundown? What's your book about? Uh, the book is a fictional account of the beginnings of what's going to be a second American civil war kicked off by gun control. Yeah. The, the worst, most egregious gun control you can think of. And I started writing that book last October and the, 
the book not to, it's not going to ruin the book but the book begins with like house to house search and seizures aimed at suspected gun owners and while i was writing that first book was when the maryland red flag law had its first casualty and a man refused to have his firearms taken from him and was shot dead by police officers in his front doorstep and that happened while yeah i think that happened like a week before i published my book and that's yeah. how the book starts. So it's, people that were familiar with the book and the project were like, you need to hurry up and publish this damn thing before it becomes a you know historical account. Right. Uh, it's it's amazing how prophetic that that was. And I haven't I haven't read the book, but I fully plan to. Um, but I've heard you talk about it a lot on your podcast. And it, it sounds it sounds awesome. I uh I don't know if you can, if you guys can tell, but I'm a big fan of matter of fact. So if you uh, you get a chance, that's that's the way I need to point that way. Uh, g- give uh, give Phil's podcast a listen. Okay, so we're going to talk Benchmade, and in case y'all have been living under a rock, um, Benchmade posted up this. Uh, well, actually, the Oregon City Police posted up this picture uh, of basically. Benchmade workers destroying a bunch of different firearms and the Oregon City Police said thank you Benchmade Knife Company for assisting us today by cutting up guns that are ready to be destroyed well uh, in case you uh, in case you believe in the Second Amendment this already looks bad uh, and basically it's been damage control nonstop damage control since uh, since this whole thing happened for Benchmade and things have only gotten worse um, uh, Phil, what do you think that Benchmade was thinking, um, or were they? Do Do you think that this Honest, was? Honestly, I don't. I don't think that they considered the blowback that this would invite. And I and a lot of people have talked to have been of two minds about it because, on the one hand, you know, they probably looked at this from the same perspective a lot of people are that this is law enforcement. We're trying to do them a favor. They need to borrow some tools to cut up some. So, you know, some uh, felonious contraband firearms, and they probably didn't think any more into it than that. On the other hand, you know, some of the, some of the people that have expressed an opinion on Benchmade assisting with the destruction of these firearms do have a point that we can't say for sure where a lot of these firearms came from. If they were turned in as part of a gun buyback program, then that's something that I and a lot of people I know are adamantly opposed to. And we would be justifiably annoyed that Benchmade had any hand in assisting with the destruction of those firearms because we disapprove of the way in which they were turned in. Likewise, if it was like civil asset forfeiture or some other method that we're not comfortable with, then Benchmade having any hand in it is a problem for us. Right. So the truth of the matter is I don't think they thought – I don't think they considered what the consequence of their assistance would be. Yeah. Um, it's kind of hard to say at this point if it's fair or not to hold them to that standard, but you know, my point of view is always I'm not comfortable assisting in any way, shape, or form things I'm not comfortable with. Right. Well, it it, it turned into more than that because um, it, people started looking at their political donations, and uh, you can see here that from 2010 to 2018, uh, their political donations for Benchmade Knife Company, according to OpenSecrets.org, has been primarily to uh, Democratic candidates, which we all know that Democrats are the enemy for gun rights. I mean, Republicans are just as responsible for uh, t- for the, the destruction of our right to bear arms. Uh, but 
Democrats at least don't lie about it. And you can see the totals from Democrats from all the way from 2010, they gave over $33,000 to Democrats and only $3,500 to Republican candidates. And this has just kind of perpetuated the blowback that they're feeling because it's like, okay, so not only are you helping law enforcement destroy firearms and law enforcement has been historically anti-Second Amendment for the most part as an organization. All the police chiefs in the world come out against uh, you know, things like constitutional carry. Um, but then we see that you have been donating money and creating packs for Democrats. I, I'm, you know, I gotta say, I don't think that the way that Benchmade is being treated is unfair at all. What do you think? I don't think so either, honestly, because I mean, assisting police department in the destruction of firearms, I think was probably a public relations hand grenade. They would have done well to leave the pin in, but the contributions they've made to political candidates, by my way of thinking, you put your money where your mouth is. And if you put your money towards supporting a candidate who at any point in time goes along with restricting gun rights, then yeah, that's going to cause me to have an immediate reaction as far as my willingness to spend my money with that company. Yeah. That's bench. That's every, that's every company though, because I, I, I refer to it as financial terrorism. Mm-hmm. You know, like I am perfectly willing and able to stir up enough public sentiment against a company to see it impact their bottom line if I disapprove of the things they're doing because they're using my money on some level to make those political donations that I wouldn't make myself. So the last thing I'm going to do is give them my money so they can give it to people I don't want to give it to. Right. No, I should work like that with our taxes, but you know, <laughs> you're asking for too much. Do, do not even begin with that malarkey that you can somehow have a say in how your tax dollars are spent. Look, Iran needed that money, okay? Uh, and uh, yeah, we we just need to. So did King, so did King George. That's different. Will you stop bringing up the Revolutionary War? You can't talk five minutes with this guy without him starting talking about the Boston Tea Party or, oh, my God, we're going to you know, take up arms against the British. Oh, uh, sorry. Uh, that's that's the, that's I think the wrong show. Got a bag of tea, he and Chuck in a bathtub <laughs> just, just as a celebrate, celebratory move. Uh, I do like some tea, though, but it, it's usually cold and iced and sweet and has a lemon wedge on the side that is optional to use. Um, so Harbor, it's a lot of fun, you know, maybe I should, but you know, it's fascinating. A lot of people don't know this, uh, but there were far more tea parties than just in Boston. They happened all along the, the, uh, Eastern coast of the United States, uh, all the way down to like Charleston. And uh, in fact, Boston wasn't even the first one to happen, but because of, uh, the marketing that the sons of Liberty kind of had, that's the one that became famous. Uh, and it wasn't just thrown over the over the into the harbor. It was also burned, or the ships were destroyed, or something like that. Talking about domestic terrorism, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, that <clears throat> excuse me. That was uh, yeah. that was our founding fathers, by the way. Um, but so uh, people started looking into uh, after they discovered uh, Benchmade's political donations. They started looking into other companies, and the other one that's really under fire is Surefire. And Surefire makes some fantastic products, just like Benchmade makes fantastic knives. I loved Benchmade knives before this whole thing happened. And I'm kind of glad that I no longer own one. Um, my, my Benchmade ended up growing legs and walking away a couple of years back, and I just haven't gotten around to buying a new one. And now I'm glad that I haven't because of 
because of this. I don't want to send my money to an organization that's going to uh, end up giving it to somebody that is contrary to my values. Uh, but Surefire, their political donations aren't as bad as um, as as Benchmates were. But uh, and, and you can see them here. I'm going to pull this up on the monitor. Uh, basically, in 2010, they gave more money to Democrats than Republicans, and then in 2012, they gave more to Republicans than Democrats. And their whole split is much more, much more even, and it's leaning Republican than anything else. Uh, but uh, people are still wondering why are you giving money to Democrats? And so now, Surefire is under under fire for this whole thing. And again, I think it's fair. I think that companies should be held accountable for these sorts of political donations, as pro-capitalist as I am. Do you disagree or do you agree? That's a difficult question to answer because, I mean, the truth of the matter is, I, th I think, I honestly think what Surefire, and EOTech, by the way, too, is involved in this, too, for the same reasons. Right. But I think what Surefire and EOTech and Benchmade and a lot of these companies are doing and have done is trying to call a little bit of favor with the people who could make or break their business. I honestly don't believe that this has, this has as much to do with, from their perspective, from an ideolo ideological perspective, I don't think this has as much to do with them supporting gun control or supporting these candidates. I think they're just trying to call favor. Mm -hmm. But I'm still not okay with it. Right. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, you and I talked about this last night while we were BSing, and we, you, you, I said, and it's a great quote, and I hate that I can't attribute it because I have no idea who it comes from, but never attribute to malice what incompetence will explain. Yes. And I don't believe there's malice here, but it doesn't matter to me. If right. you're making contributions to candidates who are doing things I don't like done, I'm not okay with that. But I don't believe that they're supporting pro-gun or anti-gun candidates because they're anti-gun. So right. I guess what I'm saying is I don't think there's intent there, but that's going to be the end result anyway. Right. And and I don't disagree at all. I think that the best way and, you know, it's been nonstop damage control since this whole thing has happened. But I think that the best thing that companies like Benchmade and Surefire could do is just say, you know what, everybody, y'all are right. We really screwed up. And we promise that from now on, we are never going to send another dollar to any Democratic candidate. We're never going to assist law enforcement in the destruction of firearms ever again. We, we were misled. We, we, we didn't understand the values that you hold dear fully. And we want to. I think that's the best thing that Benchmade could do, but they haven't done that exactly yet. They tried to say... We were just helping the law enforcement guys. What's the big deal? We all support law enforcement, right? Unfortunately, yeah, well, law enforcement doesn't always support us. Yeah, and, and what it really boils down to at the end of the day is very simply that uh, it's, and I, I hate to say this way because it sounds very condescending, but towards bench mandalized companies, I would make it condescending. But John, I always tell, I have a six year old daughter, and I always tell her, apologies only matter when they're backed by actions like if you say i'm sorry then you do the exact same thing again or you don't and there's no action to change the thing you did to cause it to elicit the apology in the first place the apology falls flat for me right like i would rather a person or a company or a group say i'm sorry and then immediately fix the problem and it's not the i'm sorry that matters it's the action mm -hmm. so if Bitch made surefire EOTech of all these companies want to prove that they genuinely wholeheartedly believe what they're saying. If the apology is heartfelt, then that's fine. 
but you have to get up off your butt and you have to fix the problem. These contributions to anti-gun candidates have to end freaking immediately. Absolutely. And you need to put your money where your mouth is and support pro-gun policies and pro-gun candidates. It's the same argument I had with um, Springfield Arms years ago when that whole hold blew between the, with them and Rock River and um, the, um, oh, what was it? It was the Illinois licensing scheme that I think they wound up getting passed. But when it became apparent that the, the, um, when it became apparent that the political action group that was funded and founded by Rock River Arms and Springfield Armory actually like allowed an anti-gun bill to go in to go hoe and pass as long as they got an exemption from it, the pro-gun community lost their minds over it. Right. And they came out and basically said, oh, well, that committee over there, they did that. We didn't know they were doing that. And my point of view is I'm like, you do understand that there are public documents filed that shows that you two idiots, the president of those two companies sat on the board of directors. <laughs> so if you didn't know, you should have known. And if you did know, then you're guilty. Right. You're guilty either way. So I guess uh, that's my whole point of view with, with Surefire, EOTech, Benchmade. And there's going to be more. There's yeah. going to be more. This is the tip of the iceberg. But my point of view to all of them is if you genuinely believe you did something wrong, then stand on your principles and fix the problem. If people need to get fired, fire people, fix the problem. If you don't think you did anything wrong, then you might lose your customer base. And you deserve it at that point. Yeah. No, it's – and this is the beautiful thing about capitalism. It really is because no other system could somebody's – actions no matter how long they've been going on once they come to light could have such a profound impact right now the whole reason that benchmade is scrambling is because people are upset like straight up well this is a family show so i'm not going to say that but they are they are they're incredibly <laughs> upset over the fact that uh that uh, over, over their actions and benchmade doesn't want to upset their their customer base if they did then they wouldn't be a company for much longer so you you know that they're worried because they're trying to to fix it. They just haven't done it right. But that's that's why I love capitalism because no other system would allow that to happen. If, if you don't have a profit motive there, if you don't have an incentive to stay alive and keep your customer base happy, uh, then you can get away with murder. You could uh, you know shoot someone on Fifth Avenue. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All that being said, sometimes I do get very disheartened because it does seem like our community that the Second Amendment community has such amazingly short memories because we've seen this happen before where a company will, you know, absolutely act contrary to our interest. And yet somebody's still buying their products. Somebody's still keeping them in business. And yeah. then at the same time, you know, we turn around and we, well, I use the cheaper than dirt example because anybody that's been around guns for a while knows the comp knows the name cheaper than dirt. Yes. And knows that, at certain times in our history, they have let's let's be polite, and not call it gouging. Let's say they took extraordinary advantage of an economical dis of a disparity between supply and demand. That's a polite way of putting it. Okay, they gouged the hell out of the pro gun community because they saw a magazine ban on the horizon and they pounced. Mm -hmm. And yet, as upset as everybody was, and it's a debate whether people should be upset about what happened or not. But as upset as everybody was, they're still in business. Yeah. Somebody's still buying products. So to me, it's kind of like if you're that upset about it, do something about it. 
Yeah, well, I mean, again, the the thing about capitalism is it's also forgiving. So if they are able to recover, then more power to them, they can recover. And they're not destined to fail because of a series of mistakes or even a single mistake. It surely can. It can be detrimental to a company. Um, and there could be no no end in sight except for filing Chapter 11 bankruptcy or something like that. Uh, but... You know, I, I don't think Benchmade's going to go anywhere, but it definitely hurt them, and it definitely taught them a lesson uh, at, at minimum. And they might learn from it. Oh, well, yeah. It's, it's whether they learn from that lesson. Well, but I, I guess here's my point. Cheaper than Dirt took that one on the chin, and they're still taking it on the chin because there's still people that will never do business with them again, yet they're still around. So the question becomes, if because of our short memories, they don't learn from their mistakes. You know what I'm saying? If somebody in the comments just said, still don't buy from cheaper than dirt. I don't either, mm -hmm. but they're still in business. So yeah. a lot of people still do. So I guess that's my point is, I would like to think Benchmade, EOTech, and Surefire, and everybody else is gonna come out of this. I would like to think they'll learn their lesson and change their ways. But I don't know if I have that much faith in our community to stick to our guns and force them to stick to theirs. I just, I don't have that much faith anymore. I've seen this happen too many times. There's right. a whole bunch of outrage. Social media gets set ablaze. A whole bunch of people start screaming and yelling and beating their chest. But in a couple of weeks, things will settle down and we'll move on to the next outrage. Right. Well, it, you know, we do live in a kind of reality TV kind of world now where we're always going on to the next drama and the next drama. Um, you know, we, we no longer really hold on to, uh, you know, sins of the past the way that we should some of us do and it depends on the sin um and this kind of segues nicely into you know what we're going to talk about next which is uh ruby ridge and and waco but really the topic is about william barr who is now the attorney general again um uh, william barr has a very troubling history with uh well with gun rights in general um he was the attorney general when Ruby Ridge happened in 1992. Um, and he was, he was responsible for a lot of really bad things that happened. And um, Phil did a great show on Ruby Ridge and Waco not too terribly long ago. Uh, and so I, I think that that would be one of the must listen to uh, on, on that list. But why don't you give us a quick recap of, you know, in case people don't know about, Ruby Ridge and don't know about Waco. What what really it happened? Your, it is your brand new to the two way community. <laughs> uh, well, and I'm I'm gonna heavily paraphrase this for the purpose of not making this a you know an hour and a half long show about just Ruby Ridge. But basically, what happened with Ruby Ridge was that the ATF, that wonderful group of gentlemen, they are they it's debatable whether or not Randy Weaver really was selling a sawed off shotgun that was below the legal limit and was considered an untaxed short barrel shotgun or not, or whether the ATF might've sawed it off themselves and tried to pin it on. Not that I'd ever accuse a government agency of planning evidence for their own benefit. I'd never, never make that assertion anyway. Uh -huh. But regardless, they, 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 that was the charge that was levied against Randy Weaver and when he refused to, to uh, surrender himself and show up to court uh, at the appointed time because he pretty much realized he was getting railroaded, FBI's hostage rescue team 
basically descended upon the uh, the rural area that he lived, shot his son, shot him, shot his wife while she was holding an infant, uh, shot a family friend. Pretty much everybody that was in that house either got killed or wounded. I think Randy Weaver's daughter might have been the only one to walk out unscathed. Right. Um, all of which would, if we did that, uh, would end up in prison. Um, but, you know, obviously we, we grant some additional liberties to law enforcement in certain circumstances because of, uh, well, it, it really depends on the circumstances. This had Squirrel to do... Should we? I'm sorry? <laughs> should we? Uh well, yeah, uh, no, uh, that's a very, that's a $64,000 question. I'm telling you, um, $5 question in my mind. I mean, I have friends and family that are in law enforcement, but I've always, I've always said that I, I don't, I don't argue for a reduction of the, the quote rights or the privileges or the whatever of police officers. I just say that civilians should have the exact same ones. That and if is... we can't, why not? That's uh well because they've been trained and they know what they're doing and they, and they know the law you know uh, law enforcement's there because they know the law and they know oh, yes, how to they enforce do. it. Diploma, never spent a day in college and don't can't hardly understand or read the law. Oh Jesus Christ! I I I, I can't I, and not to mention just the uh, open carry advocates who have been uh, arrested here in Texas before we had open carry for carrying pre eighteen ninety nine replicas. Uh, even though those were perfectly legal at the time, we had one one uh, advocate get arrested for carrying a banana in his holster. Um, so that was interesting. But I, I digress. Yeah, you know, we don't need to get into all of that. But whenever it comes to uh, to to law enforcement, they should be held to the exact same standard. You know, you shouldn't be allowed to kill somebody who's unarmed and not a threat, uh, and not get in any face any repercussions whatsoever. And the reason that that's important is because William Barr, I'm going to share this here on my screen, William Barr was the attorney general at the time, and he was the one who said that we should not be prosecuting these FBI agents. Uh, it basically says, let me see if I can find it. Barr also insisted, assisted in framing legal arguments advanced in the district court. Nope, that's not what it was. I had it, and then I I lost it. Because this is what happens whenever you do live shows. You end up losing where you were. But, oh, William Barr focuses heavily on Barr's views on the special counsel. Uh, oh, but nobody is asking about Barr's legal crusade for blanket immunity for federal agents who killed American citizens. And this is going back to the whole Ruby Ridge thing. Basically, in 1992, following Ruby Ridge, um, he went and said, yeah, the FBI did nothing wrong, so we shouldn't indict, we shouldn't charge, we shouldn't do anything because they were just doing their job. Even though when you really break down Ruby Ridge... It had to do with tax collection. Collecting a $200 tax stamp for short barrel rifles. Whether or not he was manufacturing them or not, okay, so you want to... Okay, so he's doing it without a federal firearms license. So what, what's the cost to get an FFL these days? I, I, I forget. Um, still not that expensive. There are people that are tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands in, in income tax debt, which, by the way, taxation is most definitely extortion and theft. But... Um, whenever we, you break it down, his whole family was killed over back taxes. 
and all of the FBI agents that ha that had to do with the killing, the maiming, and injuring of his family faced zero charges. Well, let's put this in everyday terms because I love to do that. His, everybody in the audience, raise your hand to yourself if you have ever sold a vehicle, private party, private party, and let's say you understated the value of the vehicle so that you and the, the appropriate party wouldn't be paying as much state tax on that transfer. If... They, if if you underpay two hundred dollars worth of sales tax on a vehicle, and the government burns your house to the ground or shoots your whole family, and that's okay, that sounds okay. That's what happened to Ruby Rich. Essentially, it was a two hundred dollar unpaid tax on a firearm, and you can't even use the argument that like the paperwork wasn't filed or the the background a background check ostensibly hadn't been done, which is also you know part and parcel to uh, an NFA item, but. I'm assuming that that state he lives in, and I hate that I didn't look up the laws in advance because I didn't think I was going to go down this rabbit hole, but I'm assuming that either the shotguns legally purchased at an FFL, which means a background check would have been done. Or... Actually, actually, this was 1992 before the Brady Bill took place. So there were no background checks. So there was no requirement for there to be a background check. In other words, the man could legally own the shotgun as long as the barrel was a little bit longer. Yes. But because it wasn't longer... The government felt entitled to two hundred dollars of this man's money or his family's life. Basically, yes. And then they, and for some reason, it doesn't. Yeah. Well, the reason is because the emotional charge behind it. Guns are an emotional issue, especially in this day and age, where every time somebody shoots somebody, it is national news, wall-to-wall -wall coverage. Uh, back then in 92, it wasn't because really all you had was CNN and they were at least halfway, maybe somewhat credible. I don't know. Uh, that, uh, but the, the, the point of the matter is ultimately it was this guy is making illegal guns and he's going to help illegal people do illegal things with these illegal guns. That was the narrative that was sold. And that is kind of a direct result from William Barr, who was attorney general at the time of Ruby Ridge. For Waco, it was Janet Reno, her being the first woman attorney general. She has to make a statement and say she's tough on the law because, you know, reasons. And that whole thing was a fiasco in and of itself. But ultimately what it boils down to is this guy's now our attorney general again. He's already come out against bump stocks. A lot of people said that when Donald Trump was banning bump stocks, it was a, a bird box underwater blindfolded 4D chess move to try and get the courts to 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 rule that a bump stock ban was unconstitutional. Whatever. <laughs> well, if the Attorney General of the United States is an outspoken advocate against full auto weapons, is a track record of killing people over the fact that they were manufacturing short-barreled rifles. He's anti-gun. He's not going to allow such a case to... He's not going to allow it to be lost. And, you know, whenever it comes to things like uh, our Supreme Court nominees, or our Supreme Court justices now, Brett Kavanaugh has ruled against the Second Amendment already. He ruled against it whenever he was... Uh, whenever he was uh, D.C. Uh, Circuit Court of Appeals. He cited Heller and said that it's not an unlimited right because that's what Scalia had written. And he upheld what Scalia had written saying that, you know, full auto bans are perfectly constitutional, even though they are not. 
And so there's a lot of he lot here that really is getting missed. I haven't really heard too much about William Barr uh, from any of the real mainstream outlets other than he got confirmed. Have you? No, uh, hadn't really been a whole lot of attention paid to it. And, um, you know, especially when you look at like Kavanaugh hearing and the media circus that turned into, I hate to say it this way, but at this point I've become so suspicious of mainstream media that when they don't report on something, I get really suspicious. You know what I'm saying? Like when they, when they screech and yell their head off, I tune them out because they screech and yell their head off about everything. So when all of a sudden they don't pounce on a story, I'm like, there's something there I'm missing. Right. And, uh, you know, like I pointed out to you when I sent you the link last night to review, when you look at, um, I think it was when you look at his confirmation hearing from the last time he was attorney general back in the 1990s, and he very outwardly, outspokenly supports an assault weapons ban, I call that a clue. Yes, absolutely. And and for those, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna put all of these links in the show notes, including this C-SPAN excerpt here. Um, but uh, so let me switch over here so you guys can see this. Uh, I'm not gonna play the video because it's about seven minutes long, seven and a half minutes long. But William Barr in 1991 is getting questioned by uh, the oh so wonderful lion of the Senate, um, Senator Ted Kennedy, who. Uh, you know, left a, a woman to drown in her his car while he went home and sobered up and then got away with it. But that has nothing to do with anything. William Barr says that he is supporting... They're talking about the Brady proposal, which isn't even law yet. Uh, and it wouldn't become law for another couple of years. And he's talking about how he supports it. He even says right here, I would prefer a limitation on the clip size. Uh, you mean magazines, uh, because language matters. But ultimately, I recommend the president sign that bill and had the Brady waiting period uh, and the assault weapons provisions as long as we had other tough crime measures in it that dealt with other problems. This man is not a uh, he's not a friend to us. This is Donald Trump's new attorney general. And I, I just I'm just I'm bleak whenever it comes to the future because of the fact that, uh, well, his history and it's. It, it doesn't look good. I just, I appreciate you sending all this, all, by the way, Phil, because I wasn't, uh, you know, I wasn't really all that well read up on him. And it's, it's crazy what, what sorts of things that he has said and has done, and it wasn't being paid any attention to. You would think that the left would be all over this, like, oh, he's anti-gun. Good Trump. Yeah, well, the, this is, this is something that I, I, I've, I fought with several years ago because I, I freely admit during the 2016 election, I voted for Trump. I was one of those very reluctant Trump voters, but not necessarily a Trump supporter. I feel like of the available options, which let's be honest, Gary, Gary freaking Johnson was probably the most awful candidate that could have run next to Hillary. And of the of the two candidates, I thought I had a snowball's chance in hell of actually becoming president of the United States for that term. I felt like I picked the lesser of the two evils. I did so knowing that the moment he was confirmed, I was going to become immediately suspicious and critical of the decisions and confirmations he made. Does that make sense? Like I have that weird personality that lets me vote for a person and then not like the SOB the very next day, right? Because I knew. 
Trump wasn't pro-gun, not my version of pro-gun. I mean, bear in mind, I'm the guy that says that we should have, you know, a Browning M2 heavy machine gun in everybody in the front yard of every neighborhood just for home defense, you know, in case there's a Tyrannosaurus Rex running around hiding behind a refrigerator. Weird stuff. <laughs> can, can, can I have a Gal 17 or an M134? That, that is well with it. If you have a properly trained crew to operate said weapon system, yes. I'm a properly okay. trained crew. I've, I've operated those before. They're great. I love them. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry, I cut you off. But I, I guess that's my point of view is that, like, you know, my definition of being pro-gun is the Second Amendment was self-explanatory. It is an unlimited right. It was always meant to be an unlimited right. The federal government has no power and no authority to limit it. It says so in the freaking law. That's the whole damn point. Sorry, language. Warning. No, you're fine. The, damn but, is, a go, is, an, is an okay word. Just refer oh, to George. Yeah. <laughs> Refer to George Carlin's say? list of, of the seven you can't say. Yeah. Oh, God. But I guess that's my whole point of view is that if that is my metric, my the Phil Rabelais metric for who's pro-gun, then freaking none, none of them are. Right. William Barr is certainly not. Trump sure as hell isn't. Brent Kavanaugh isn't. Hell, even Scalia wasn't pro-gun by my way of thinking. No. I mean, you and I talked about this last night. He was probably the most pro-gun Supreme Court justice we've had in my lifetime easily probably two of my lifetimes but he still wasn't pro-gun by my way of thinking right because anything that says the second amendment is not an unlimited right you are an idiot illiterate or dishonest right because uh, i can read and it says it right there in the freaking second amendment yeah uh and, and i talked about Sorry, I'm monopolizing. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go for it, man. This is this is great. It's it's our show. We're sharing it. This is communism here. Uh. <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> but, but you know, you and you and I talked about this last night. The only the only thing people seem to be able to haul out in front of the Second Amendment to say, see, it's not an unlimited right. It says so right there is the militia argument. And I, like I said the other day, the Militia Act of 1792, I want to say, was wasn't ratified that, that long after the Second Amendment was actually ratified and agreed and you know pen, pinned into our founding documents. And it very plainly says that every fighting age male is a member of the militia and has to have guns and ammo, basically. I'm paraphrasing heavily because it was written in the 18th century. I don't want, I don't think you want to know about what models of musket it proved. Right. But the point remains, you were required by freaking law to have guns and ammo in your home for the purpose of shooting people in the face if they attempted to subvert our country. Period and discussion. Oh, I that's love that. Intent, that's the intent of the Second Amendment. And... I know that most people today do not believe that was the intent of the Second Amendment because all you have to do to, to like pass the litmus test is say, hey, we have the Second Amendment just in case we have to shoot politicians. And when everybody in the room gets quiet and looks at you like you're crazy, you know they don't believe in the Second Amendment. Because right. That's why it's there. Yeah. I'm not uh, saying it's a good idea to shoot politicians. <laughs> <laughs> NSA, stay off my doorstep and don't shoot my dog. But I mean, that. That you know, two hundred plus years ago, that's why the that's why it was written. Yeah. Anyway. So uh Reed Mann says, uh people will excuse politicians because of the letter by their name and they don't pay attention. And Reed, you are exactly a thousand percent right whenever it comes to that. Because I mean you see it all the time. People do give people passes because they play they wear the same jersey that they do. And it's unfortunate and it shouldn't happen. Um but going back to the Second Amendment, so this is one thing that I, from a whole grammatical standpoint, that I that I throw out to people, I say, 
A well-balanced breakfast being necessary to the start of a healthy day, the right of the people to keep and eat food shall not be infringed. Who has the right to keep and eat food, and what type of food do they have the right to keep and eat? Is it just breakfast food, and does the breakfast food have the right? No, it's the people, and it says food because it's, it's all-encompassing. It doesn't mean you can only eat breakfast food. It means that you, you have the natural right. You have the right to uh, keep and eat whatever food you want. If you want to go on a, a diet of cheeseburgers and candy bars, then by all means. The whole purpose of the first half of the amendment is a justification. It's why the rest of it's there. You could put a line through the first half of it, and it still makes perfect grammatical sense. The right of the people to keep and eat, uh, keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Uh, <laughs> the, the right of the people to keep and eat. Oh, man. The, the, God, ladies and gentlemen, this is what happens when Phil and I talk. Uh, I get, you know, stupid in the brain because English is hard. Um, but it's still a complete thought. It's a complete sentence. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. If you cross out the second half and leave the first half, it's a fragment. It's an incomplete thought. It makes no sense whatsoever. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. Okay, now what? What, what are you trying to convey to me? What message are you trying to tell me? I get it. You're trying to say that a militia is necessary to the security of a free state, but why are you trying to tell me that? There's a justification clause and an operative clause. And one of the things that really drives me crazy about the Heller decision is because Scalia wrote that the Second Amendment conferred the right to bear arms. And that word conferred means it granted. The Second Amendment doesn't grant crap. The Second Amendment is to protect the right. It is a natural right. If you go into a state of nature that is absent of government, there are ultimately three things that are nat part of natural law, life, liberty, and property. You have the right by nature, by God, whatever you want to define it as, to live your life as you see fit. As long as you don't infringe upon the rights of another person to do the same, you have the right to do that. Liberty means exactly that and your property is the 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 completing the triangle if you will property is the fruit of your labor it means that you can take ownership over what you produce so if you claim a plot of land and you produce on it nobody else has the right to take your corn from you your soybeans or whatever it is that you're growing whatever you're cultivating that is yours because you put in the labor to do it the whole reason that the right to bear arms is a natural right is because it is necessary to defend your other natural rights from those who wish to usurp them. And because of that, government doesn't have the authority to regulate that. Government doesn't have the authority to say, you can bear this arm, but not that arm. You can have this magazine capacity, but not that magazine capacity. It must take you this long to reload, but not this long to reload. Because it is ultimately up to you to determine what it is that is effective and adequate to preserve your life, liberty, and property. The Second Amendment could say that the people do not have the right to bear arms, and it wouldn't mean jack. It would just mean that the government of the United States refuses to acknowledge the existence of a natural right. Go ahead. <laughs> the, you know, the, the two things I love to point out at a moment like this is let's let's take the wording and the comma and all the all the 
the the literal rigmarole out of the Second Amendment. And let's just look at the Bill of Rights as a whole. What is the intent of the Bill of Rights, Derek? Um, I'm going to say it's to grant us rights. And, no, uh, it's to protect our rights from government usurpation, from government tyranny. Okay, so the, so the, the Bill of Rights, all the amendments in the Bill of Rights have two ultimate purposes. One is to recognize, not grant, recognize natural rights every man and woman has and or to limit the power of government. Yes. If you look at the Fourth Amendment, it, and if, if you look at if look at all the amendments across the board, because every one of them follows the same pattern, regardless of what leftists like to say, the First Amendment is there to simultaneously recognize, not grant, a person's right to speak freely, to practice religion as they see fit, so on and so forth, to speak out subversely against their government, contrary to the Patriot Act. I'd like to remind people of that one. That was a George W. Bush that really pissed me off when that got voted in. Anyway. But that was patriotic. It says so in the name. Baloney. Don't you? Don't, no, no, no. No, no, no. Stop. There's nothing patriotic about telling a person they cannot speak out against their own freaking government because that's freaking how this country came into existence in the first place. But it's perfectly patriotic to allow them to spy on you and gather your data and listen to your phone conversation because if you're not doing anything wrong, you don't have nothing to worry about. Bill, you know, come on. Uh, <laughs> this is the, this is the the lines the government needs to read between. <laughs> but no, my point is that the Bill of Rights limits the power of government and recognizes the rights of the people. Therefore. If the First Amendment simultaneously recognizes our right to free speech and prevents the government from infringing upon it, if our right against unreasonable search and seizure limits the government's ability to infringe upon our privacy and remove us from our freedom and property and simultaneously recognizes those rights, then what does the Second Amendment do? Does the Second Amendment say that only the militia can have firearms and the militia is ostensibly a component of the government? Is that the one? Is that the one amendment in the Bill of Rights that that gives the government power, and all the rest of them give the people power? Does it no. make any damn sense to anybody? No. no, it only makes sense to leftists who don't want to see an armed populace. And I've said this before: the I became a single issue voter years ago, and that's been kind of controversial with some people because they they say, well, there are other there are other issues than guns, and yes, there are, but there's no bigger issue than guns. Because mm -hmm. gun rights is the litmus test to tell whether a politician is honest or not. Because right. anyone in favor of limiting the rights of law-abiding citizens to have guns doesn't trust the citizenry. And the citizenry in this wonderful form of republicanism, not democracy, republicanism. It's a republic we exist in here. In this system of government, we have the power our representatives represent us. They're not our rulers. They're not our leaders. We're the ones in charge. So yeah. if they want to take our guns from us, it's because they don't trust us. Why not? But people are dying, Phil. Don't you have any... Just Don't you feel about those people that are dying constantly because of the gun violence epidemic? I absolutely, I absolutely do. And I would give every one of them a hug and a kiss on the cheek and pat them on the head. But... I'm not willing to burn the Constitution because someone misused the rights that were given to them. Right. That is that is really the ultimate. That's the ultimate end of discussion for me at every point. I'm not willing to 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 take forcibly. And this is the this is the part that I really lay out in my book that a lot of people don't want to face. But 
let's say pie in the sky, gun control becomes a reality. We actually manage to do an assault weapon and a 30 round magazine ban, and there's no grandfather clause. Turn them in or else. Mm -hmm. That's been tried. New York, New Jersey, California. I know for a fact there's contraband firearms in and everything all in a lot of those states because every now and then they get found. Right. And it shows up in the news. And then that's justification for more oppressive and draconian laws. Right. So you mean to tell me that in a country of over 300 million people where we suspect 140 million of them, and we don't know exactly because, thank God, we don't have a gun registry. We can't tell how many people own guns. But you want to tell me that in a country that we suspect there's 140 million gunners, you're going to get 140 million people to turn in their guns or else. Yeah. You don't think you don't think 10% are going to say no? You don't think 1% are going to say no? 1.1% of the all the gun the probable gunners in this country is 1.4 million people with enough guns and ammo to friggin' assault a third world country. Yeah. Now you I will you think you're going to pass across the board tournament or else gun control and it won't result in a war so I, I i will take one issue with one thing that you said uh you said thank god there's no gun registry there's not an official gun registry but every time you fill out a 4473 that's a <laughs> that's a registry so uh funny you mentioned that i actually laid i actually made that point in um <clears throat> i was pulled that much of my book honestly in american <laughs> urgent that's how the government knows who does doors go knock on? Yeah. And because if there seventy threes that were run through Nick's. Yeah. And if you're not filling out a forty four seventy three because you have an LTC, guess what? Let's just look at who has an LTC. Oh, yep. The all these people have licenses to carry. Uh, this is why constitutional carry is so important, ladies and gentlemen. Not just this, but also you shouldn't have to ask the ask the government for permission to do something that's a natural right. But you know. Uh, if you have to ask permission to do something, you don't have the right. Right, you have the that, privilege. That, yeah, well, yeah, because, I mean, it's it's like I keep saying. If, if, if people want to go back to the idea that we don't want felons to have guns and we don't want crazy people to have guns, we don't want the wrong people to have guns, who gets to pick? Right. Do you trust the government to, to decide who has the right to get on social media and voice their political opinion? Do you have? Do you trust the government to suspend someone's right to a jury trial in an expedient legal process? Do you trust the government to, to dictate that a certain race of people don't have the right to their freedom and their property? I mean, that's been done a few times. African-Americans, Japanese-Americans, Native Americans, yep. Irish, Scottish, Germans. By the Let's way, it's, what it's funny that- government is exactly magnanimous and and moral at all times. They they they've proven in history to suspend what anyone would consider reasonable morality when it is politically available to them. Yeah, and it's funny that you bring up the whole Japanese internment thing, um, because in case that anybody doesn't know, go and read the Korematsu v. United States case. That case will blow your mind, especially whenever you realize it is still a very valid ruling to this day. The Supreme Court ruled that the President of the United States was well within his constitutional authority of rounding up American citizens and throwing them in internment camps because they were of Japanese ancestry during World War II. Okay? It is a disgusting ruling. And em emphasize that, not Japanese immigrants, not people over here on a work or a student visa, 
American citizens of Japanese descent. Yes, these were people who were either born or naturalized here. They are citizens. And they were put into internment camps for years in, Uni in the United States. While Hitler was throwing Jews in concentration camps, we were throwing Japanese Americans, American citizens, into internment camps here. And Hugo Black, who was the Supreme Court Justice who, who wrote the ruling, was a despicable and disgusting racist subhuman mongrel of a person. And he, uh, he would, I swear to God, he is the worst uh, person to ever sit on the Supreme Court. But this is exactly why Thomas Jefferson was disgusted with the fact that the Supreme Court had granted themselves the power of judicial review. Because that's how we get uh, disgusting rulings like this. Uh, you know, he, he basically said that to put the Supreme Court to, uh, to answer all constitutional questions is a dangerous doctrine and one that will put us under the despotism of an oligarchy. And this is why you'll never hear me cite the Supreme Court other than in cases like this where it's like, this is awful. Because... Whenever you cite things like Heller, which uh, actually isn't a good Supreme Court ruling for Second Amendment advocates, but whenever you do cite it, let's say that it was, you also have to cite things like Dred Scott, which said, freed black men cannot be citizens because then they will have the right to bear arms, and that's not good. That was a valid Supreme Court ruling. And, you know, just in the past couple of years past few years we've had uh obamacare declared constitutional because it was a tax even though it's a mandate to purchase a product we've had um we've had uh, um the nsa's bulk collection of metadata on all of us ruled constitutional that was ruled constitutional by uh brett kavanaugh when he was dc circuit court of appeals ruled constitutional and so the Supreme Court doesn't really matter because they have this power that uh, that actually does not appear in Article 3 whatsoever. They granted themselves this power in 1803 with the Marbury decision. And what's funny is people will post up pictures of the Marbury decision and, and highlight the quote that says, anything that is contrary to the Constitution is repugnant and therefore invalid. They That whole case was probably the biggest usurpation of of government power that has ever existed because it has laid the foundation for what we have today. And it is something that is incredibly scary because all it takes is five black robe despots to rule however they want. And for those that think that the Supreme court is important. And so we need to get good people up there. Yeah. Wait until those good people rule against us, which I firmly believe that Neil Gorsuch and Brett Kavanaugh will do. And I have no faith in the rest of the Supreme Court. Sorry, Phil, I went off on a, tan a, a rant there that uh, was kind of unwarranted. <laughs> it, it was a good one. But, you know, the, the thing I point out to people is I'm like, uh, understand that I, I really only point to Supreme Court cases to demonstrate the obvious political slant of Supreme Court justices. And justices, by their by virtue of their position, they're supposed to be impartial. Like, they're supposed to be devoid of politics. They're supposed to only judge the law on the merits of whether or not it is constitutional and make sure that the proper level of um oh what's the word i'm looking for here when um <sighs> scrutiny make sure the proper level of scrutiny was utilized in determining the constitutionality of law at the lower court that's their only job 
-hmm. And unfortunately, it is very obvious that they askew their responsibility to us, the people, anytime they see fit. And you and I talked about this earlier. The National Firearms Act, 1934, U.S. v. Miller, that is that that to me is like genesis of gun control, but it's also that moment where the Supreme Court absolutely demonstrated that they are not on the side of the Constitution. Oh, absolutely. Because they plainly, they plainly made the case that, and then by the way, I have to give credit to the lower court because the lower court struck the law down and dismissed the case on the basis that, you know, the, the law was obviously a, a tax masquerade, or it was a regulatory move masquerading as a tax because even the even the the judge said there's no way you can rationally state that a two hundred dollar tax on a twelve dollar shotgun is is not regulatory in nature. Right. There's no way that a two hundred dollar tax on a two dollar silencer is not regulatory in intent. So he struck it down. Now when it gets up to the Supreme Court in 1936, the Supreme Court literally took the point of view. And by the way, the state's own attorneys, the government's attorneys, testified to this effect that. The National Firearms Act was not an infringement against the Second Amendment and against our right to keep and bear arms because it did not pertain to military-style firearms. In other words, the U.S. military never used short-barrel shotguns and short-barrel rifles and silencers in a war, even though we just had a World War I. So I'm going to take a wild guess and assume nobody there that day had served in the military because if so, they would have known that was BS. Right. Or they knew and they just didn't care. But regardless— they said that because the Second Amendment didn't, you know, the National Firearms Act did not restrict any military-style weapons, that it was constitutional, which would imply that the Second Amendment only protects military-style weapons. Right. So where's my M2 heavy machine gun and my full-auto AR? You know, it's it's funny that you bring that up. So we're talking about the U.S. v. Miller case, which was 1939, right? 38, 39? Uh, 36, if I recall correctly. Something. National so Firearms Act. National Firearms Act was signed in 34. I want to say U.S. v. Miller was 36, but I could be wrong. Yeah, so basically the case was Mr. Miller was manufacturing uh, short-barreled shotguns. Again, oh, where have we heard this before? Ruby Ridge. Um, and he was arrested for not following the NFA and amended, uh, appealed it all the way up to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court ruled essentially what, what Phil just said. Because it's not a military weapon, uh, it's perfectly okay to regulate it this way. They weren't talking. Google trash shotgun. Tell me what you see. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but what's really interesting about this is Scalia brought up in Heller the Miller decision and said that if you read this a certain way, it basically says that full auto weapons are okay, but we don't have the precedent for that. So you can't read Miller that way. I'm sorry, what? Miller what was, was the damn amendment, if not precedent. Right? Uh, <laughs> I mean, when the Second Amendment was inked onto a piece of parchment and it said the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed, do I have to go get y'all a dictionary so you can look up the meaning of the word infringe? Uh, I mean, <laughs> it's frustrating to me, Derek, because it's like I don't I don't know. I, I can explain the concept of the Second Amendment to my six-year-old, and she gets it perfectly. <laughs> but I can't explain it to college-educated legal professionals. Right. And that he, tells me something. My he, kid's smarter than they are. She should be on the Supreme Court. Are you smarter than a fifth grader? Uh, this, this, that should be a question, really. She's in first grade, but uh, yeah. <laughs> She's got most of them beat with one arm behind her back. 
You, you know what's really hilarious about this whole thing and sad, hilarious and sad, because that's really what we're talking about here, is that people say that the right to free speech is not unlimited. You can't yell fire in a crowded theater. That's what they say. They love going to that line. And like, you no. Theater is a call to action. Yeah, well, it also in, induces a false panic. You have the right to not be falsely alarmed, right? That's called a threat. Uh, that's called a hoax. Just like you don't have the uh, the right, or it, it's not covered under free speech to say, I have a bomb in the middle of an airport. Why is that? But it's not that you're using free speech. It's that you're committing a specific act that violates other people's liberty. I don't have the right to to libel or slander anybody because I am infringing upon their liberty of being uh, of maintaining their good name without false premise. You know, with with uh, without having to make things up in order to justify my position. Okay. Also note I, that libel libel and slander are legal terms, and there is there's a legal requirement in order for that charge to stand that there must be injury. Yes, and the injury is mandatory for that charge to be upheld and for that, that for that you know for that to be valid there has to be injury if there's no injury then there's no crime committed and that to me is the way we put we get this across to people shouting fire in a crowded theater almost assuredly is going to cause injury yes and if someone gets trampled then obviously the right to life liberty pursuit of happiness has is going to be a little bit off kilter yep. and it's like i explained to people i'm like i can take an ar and i can run up and down the street, waving it around in the air. And I'm not hurting anybody. I'm not causing injury. Now, if I point it at you, that's assault. Yes, it is a if specific I, act. You finished my I point for me. Assault with a deadly weapon. But up to that moment, there's no injury. Right. There's no threat of injury. So there's no crime committed. Yeah, but yeah, that I, is, again... I'm sorry, that, that, is, that is, again, that is a specific act that infringes upon liberty. It's not that we have limits on free speech. It's just that the 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 limit is as soon as I infringe upon another person's life, liberty, or property. If there's a theater, that theater is being owned by somebody. There is a property owner there. And I have caused a massive panic falsely by yelling fire or bomb in that theater, and I have caused him damage if by no other means, just by the fact that I, that my actions had that entire theater evacuated and then they had to uh, do damage control and say, okay, guys, it was just a false alarm. Let's all go back in. They shouldn't have had to do that. That is an infringement upon their liberty. Same thing with the 2A, like you just said. I have the unlimited right to keep and bear arms. I do not have the right to shoot an innocent person in the face. That's, that, that's all it is. It is specific actions. Keeping and bearing arms and speaking my mind have no ill effect on anybody whatsoever. And so this misnomer that we've, well, you don't have an unlimited right to speak and you don't have an unlimited right to bear arms, is it's false. And it needs to be dealt with and it needs to be squished and it needs to be put out of his misery. Where are we? <laughs> Do you feel better getting it off your chest? Oh, I do. I do. Very, very much so. By the way, uh, Joe Oliveria says, hey, Phil, I'm a little late. Um, yeah. Hey, Joe. Yeah, and he also says, arm means arms. I want a howitzer. 
you know, I don't want a howitzer because, uh, as Paul points out, ammo is expensive, and yeah, cost of maintenance. But you know, if I had, you know, if I had a hundred million dollars rolling around, I would like to buy an F thirty-five. But that would just get it empty, and I'd have to buy fuel and cost of maintenance and operation. So. See, that's when you take up a collection among your entire city and you have an F-35 for for um, city defense. Right. Oh, yeah, that'd be great. Uh, you, know, that call. you know, the pilots of the F-35, they, they say, I don't know why I'm flying this thing. It flies itself. I'm going to be out of a job here soon. It's it's quite hilarious uh, what, what what they have to say about it. It's it's quite an amazing aircraft, uh, contrary to the, uh, the news that has come out in over the past couple of years. But I'm a, I'm a little bit biased. But anyway, uh, I digress. Phil, um, we've gone for over an hour here. Uh, I can keep going, but I don't know if our I don't know if our if, if our listeners can. Uh, Joe, Paul, uh, Kizzard, Kizzard Kitchen. <sighs> this has been a good show. It's been a great show. Uh, by the way, th take this time uh, real quick. Uh, tell people. I'm sorry, I didn't hear what you said. Oh, we we went completely off the rails. <laughs> yes, yes, we did. Uh, we full on crazy train this. Uh, B. Anyway, um, take this time real quick. Go ahead and talk about your book a little bit more. Uh, give them the title, where they can buy it, um, and all that fun stuff. Well, the title of the book is American Insurgent. It's available on Amazon and Kindle and uh, paperback. There is an audible audiobook coming. Uh, my narrator, I believe, is shooting for like middle of next month, maybe a little later. It's coming, though. Um, I actually haven't let out to very many people who the narrator is. He'll be a guest on my show right before it releases, though, and I think that'll be fairly surprising to some people who's narrating the book and why I thought it was so appropriate. He narrated. Is it Samuel L. Jackson? No, it's not Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> I'll tell you offline. It, it'll, it'll blow your mind. Nice. But um, it's, it's a, it's an account of what I believe will be the result. If we ever allow gun control to really get to the point, we all fear it one day will. If we get to the point where red flag laws continue to become more commonplace, that the second amendment is repealed, that the, we finally allow the government to tell us, no, you don't have a right to keep bear arms, turn them in or else. Mm -hmm. I know there's uh, it, common sense tells you that in, in a nation of 300 something million people, somebody's going to fight back. Yes. This is a fictional account of that fight. And it's the first book really doesn't just grapple. I mean, th there's some action involved because of the cop because of it, but what I really tried to do in the book was I tried to grapple with like the emotions and the psychological trauma behind something like this, because I know no one can wield violence without consequence. And I know that in a situation like this, even the people who participate in this theoretical insurrection are going to in and of themselves be troubled by what they are doing. You know what I'm saying? Like I tried to grapple with the emotions behind patriotic people fighting their own government and the psychological trauma of the post-traumatic stress disorder that comes along behind that. So it's, it's a book that I've been told is very action packed and very um, thought provoking. I tried to make it a very thought provoking book. I intended for it to play on your emotions and make you think and make you wonder what would you do in this situation? Because 
you know, the point I made in one interview was this is not a book of what will happen because what's going to happen is going to happen. In a nation of 300 million people, someone's going to say no and someone's going to fight. What happens after that, though? That's what the book really wrestles with is what, what do you do after the fight starts? Right. Um, in case anybody wants to read it, I've put the Amazon link in comments. Uh, I highly recommend that you go check it out. If you liked the, the dialogue between Phil and I, um, I, I know that you will enjoy the book. Uh, Phil is an incredibly smart individual, as you can tell. Um, and, uh, and to be honest, he's actually given me a hand writing my book, but that's, that's later. Don't, 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 don't worry about that. That, that, that I shouldn't have said anything. I, I, I continue to say, you got to come on my show when you get a little closer to being done, because, um, what you've got started is interesting. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that very much. I won't, I won't, I won't let anything else out, but it's interesting. It's very thought provoking. I'll send you chapter three. Uh, but uh, anyway, so I am going to, uh, there is my outro music. And uh, I'm going to wrap things up today. Phil, thanks again for being here, uh, especially for over an hour. I really appreciate it. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you are not subscribed to LSGR.live for $6 a month or $60 for the year, you are missing live shows like this every Sunday. We're not going to do them on Facebook all the time. So make sure that you go to LSGR.live and uh, sign up. And you can see more of this on demand. Uh, you can also catch the audio only on um, uh, Apple and uh, Google Play. Anyway, next Sunday, arm yourself with knowledge and share the ammo.